Welcome to another episode of the Enlightened Musician Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Light, and today we're going to dive into the wonderful world of local booking with my good friend, William Neesmith. He recently made the jump from a nine to five into music full time, going from absolutely no shows to 160 shows in less than a year. So without further ado, here's William. So today I'm so excited to bring on one of my really good friends and we're going to actually go into local booking and diving in kind of to different steps and tips on how you can do that within your area and how he's had success in our area. So welcome to the podcast, William. Hello. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I know. And I brought you coffee too. So yes. you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> As he said when he came into the house, he was like, so I assume you already have coffee. And I already had a whole entire pot because I do have a problem. I think I have like four or five a day. You know, it's just because I'm highly motivated and just wanting to make sure I'm up at all times. Every hour. I'm just kidding. I knew I was going to get some really good coffee here. Mm. This isn't just like your K-cup stuff. Like this is. It sure ain't. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I love seeing what all you're doing right now. So me and William have been friends for about maybe two years now. You're like it's clocking up to two years. Oh my goodness. So it's so funny to look at you at two years ago and seeing where you're at and knowing what you're wanting to do in music, but also looking at now. And I don't know if you realize how big of a jump it is from last year. Was it a year? Year, yeah. A year <laughs> to now. And you were doing some just killer stuff. I think you said your calendar is booked all the way out into like 2019. I was going to say three yeah. years from now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I just want to kind of dive into how you did that. But first, let's actually just kind of get into what last year looked like. So yeah. kind of give me, paint me a picture of what last year before you dived into booking looked like. Where were you at? That's so funny because I think it is almost a year um, since I left my full-time corporate marketing job. Um, like exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I think it would be like the first week of August. So yeah, I mean, like we're at the very end of... July here, like we're, we're pushing up. I mean, next week would probably be like the quote unquote anniversary. So, I mean, I moved to Greensboro, um, to get my daytime, uh, MBA. It was like a two year MBA program at UNCG, but, uh, you know, from an early age, I always just kind of had this, um, pull to music, but you know, I'm sure you you felt this too. It's just kind of frustrating because, um, there isn't like a roadmap like, uh, the, if you want to be a doctor, you go to medical school, you intern in a hospital, you're a resident and all that stuff. So, um, a similar process with law school, but with music, there's so many different paths that you can take. Mm -hmm. And when, I mean, in my brain, aside from, you know, maybe running into Pharrell at Starbucks in Greensboro, how uh, he might, <laughs> he might be happy to see you. <laughs> yeah. I just did not think that that was, uh, a possibility. Mm -hmm. So, um, through deep diving on Facebook, I found this song circle in Carborough and, um, that might have been like 2017. And so I went twice a month. It was an hour from Greensboro. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm going to share my songs. And, um, I think I, uh, uh, reached out to yes weekly or someone through Facebook or email. And they put me in touch with a guy named Brian Tony who oh, runs Gate City that. Songwriters mm -hmm. at um, in Greensboro. He told me about this song circle, Doodad Farm. And so in addition to going to Carborough, I started going to 
the doodad uh song circle and they started another uh, uh song circle gate city songwriters um i really it was great and it it was a great way to share some of the songs that I've already written and get feedback on those. But it pushed me to, you know, write even more music. I noticed from networking with them. Oh, oh, how can I forget? Uh, NSAI. I know. <laughs> I think it was Jack Gorham. Um, Which NSAI is Nashville Songwriters Association's International? Yes. So, and I always forget the international, but great organization. Definitely check it out. It's in every city. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> So I was at Doodad Farm, maybe my first or second time there, and Jack was like, you should check out NSAI. It's in Winston-Salem. And so that just sort of rounded out the the bunch. But from networking with all these people that went to these song circles, um, I realized a lot of them played live music gigs. And I was like, I mean, for me, that was not my path. Doodad asked me to open for this folk rock band in 2017. And, you know, I said, I should get some business cards. And on the business cards, it was like songwriter because I really did not see myself as a performer. But the more that I did it, the more I fell in love with it. A former coworker actually told me about this place in Summerfield and um, I didn't know what PA was. So you lent me (laughs) your PA equipment that day. And oh my gosh, I I just want to apologize for that. Because I did not want to help you set up at all. I was like, Lord, I don't know how to do this. Does it sound good, William? I mean, can you adjust this? Is this all right? And I'm like, nope, I just don't want to. Ah, I don't know how any of this works. Um, the sun was in my eyes. There was a girl sitting at a picnic table who was clapping off beat. Um, it, was, it was like, throw me off. You would think that would just kind of stop me from doing it. But I just, it was that performance where I think I really fell in love with it. And um, I just started putting myself out there. And um and I guess we can talk about that process. Yeah, and too, that's a good point. We're going to pause for a second talking about PA systems and the equipment. A lot of times people think that they can just play out live. They'll start booking shows and show up to a venue and be like, I'm here. <laughs> and that's just not the case. I think a lot of people just don't realize what it goes into it. And it's not really that much, but it's just not knowing. But yeah, what, I, already re- I wrote it down. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. So continue on. So you're at this show in Summerfield. You've played your first show. And, you know, the lady that's offbeat has not gotten you off your path. <laughs> Which, I mean, I was there. I understand. I saw it. But um, so go from that and then transitioning. Because you were working a full-time job as well. Yes. Like full-time, you had already gotten your degree. Um, what was your degree? It was... An MBA with a concentration in marketing from UNCG. Yeah. And I love that. And you were just so brilliantly talented at a lot of stuff. But like going from that... And then transitioning into full-time gigs. So let's keep going on this story. Where did you go from there? Yeah, so I think it was after that, I really just started doing a lot of, you know, just personal thinking. I would take long walks and, you know, um, I think when you're um, just about to have this, I don't want to say a crisis, but this drastic change in your life, um, you do a lot of, of thinking um, and it, not necessarily meditating, but, you know, I walked the vicinity of my um, apartment complex several times. And I really thought about what made me happy as a human being and what I ultimately wanted to do. I mean, even from my undergrad days, my goal was to be <laughs> vroom. Vroom, 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 a motorcycle driver. <laughs> um, my goal was to be um, a songwriter, you know, preferably like a, a teen pop or pop songwriter. And I felt discouraged because I didn't see like a clear path to making that happen. Mm-hmm. But then here in my lap was this opportunity to play live music at several venues around the area. And I thought about the joy that that brought me. 
I thought about, um, you know, in high school, undergrad, grad school, and even in my job, um, some of my best projects were, you know, involving music. Uh, I would, I think I had a rap about the selling process in my grad school to Did the tune really? of back that ass up. Yeah. Please. <laughs> Do you have that recorded somewhere? Because I, that should be like the exit of, I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh. No. It was like, and it's not for anybody to see. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. And, you know, at my corporate marketing job, one thing that I would do is we put together these uh, music videos, especially for the Christmas party, all about executive recruiting. There was a hip hop theme video, a country music theme video, even a musical theater theme video. And, you know, if you were to call them up today and ask, you know, what were some of Williams like? you know, greatest achievements in that role, <laughs> it would probably be like the music videos. And you guys, it's on YouTube, which I'm not going to say where, but I've seen them and they're one of the best things I've ever seen, which he's not letting on very much, but he is one of the best songwriters that I know. So we are talking about gigging today and booking, but you know, this guy is a songwriter. We will maybe bring him back on and talk about that sometime, but continue on where you're going. You're Look at- my heart here. <laughs> <laughs> which... <laughs> You know, I do think that each level of music has a step. So like right now you're on your next step and it's going to only go towards songwriting and getting into even more with national and major artists because you're already writing with people in the area. We've written songs together. You've written some songs for some local artists as well. So I only think it's up from here. But anyway, I keep going off side track. You are absolutely fine. (laughs) So I realized that if I could reach enough people and play enough gigs per month um, and maybe get a part-time job, Mm -hmm. I could support myself and have more time to focus on writing. Mm -hmm. And so I, I enjoyed live music. You know, it's not something that I wanted to do forever. I didn't have those aspirations of being, um, you know, the, the actual recording artist, like say you might, uh, want, mm-hmm. not might you, you are a recording <laughs> artist. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I very much enjoy like being the, uh, behind the scenes, um, writer behind, you know, uh, hit music. That's, that's still a goal of mine. And I realized that from you know, live music performing from at the time, having a part-time job, um, you know, uh, still doing marketing, um, which is what I did at my corporate job, just on a part-time scale. Uh, and just having that that open time to write more, to do more co-writes and meet with people during the day. Um, it, it just it was just this happy marriage of things. And I was so much happier in this, um, you know, uh, amalgamation of uh... that's a nice word. Good job. <laughs> I don't even know what I, I know what that means. <laughs> But I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, so with all of these things going on, then I was in my corporate uh, marketing job and I felt more fulfilled um, through working the calendar, through networking. I know we're going to get into the specifics of of that. Um, I was able to, you know, uh, leave my part time job and do live performing exclusively, mm-hmm. which gave me even more time to schedule co-writes, write my um you know, uh, write more music and produce more music, which I'm still sort of pushing. I'm excited (laughs) about it too. Oh my gosh. It's going to be so good. And I think that's the thing too. A lot of times we're all as musicians wanting to get to the next level, but sometimes there is a time when you do have to have your day job and that's great. And you definitely have to, I've had a day job as well, but trying to get to the next level, you need the time to be able to book your shows or be able to do co-writes. And sometimes, you know, you can only have a 
full-time job up to a certain point because to get to that next level, you need to have the time to connect to those people that are already going to the next level. So I, I love that you talk about that too. And you actually talking about that, how many shows, because I know you were concerned about it when we first talked about it and you were trying to get shows. It, it happened pretty fast actually, which is really good. <laughs> um, and I, I do want to set up that expectation whenever you're booking shows. Um, and I told William this too, you send out a lot of emails yes. and expect one back from 50. Because then if you get a lot more back than that, you know, you should just be, you know, ultra excited. Because a lot of people just stop at the first email and just like, they didn't want me, you know. But um, just kind of give me a roundabout number within a couple months. How many, well, right now you said you booked over, was it 110 shows within a couple months? Yeah, and I think the the running total now is I've played um, over 160 shows. And I probably booked uh, about 200 this year. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of, you know, getting to to play those. And I've already had people contact me for, you know, 2020. So I got to buy another at-a-glance calendar. (laughs) Isn't that great, though? But I just want to point that out. A year ago, he was at a day job. He was trying to get into songwriting. Had one or two shows maybe under your belt besides, you know, doing stuff locally at home in South Carolina where you are and as a kid and whatnot. But within a year's time, just from hustle and hard work and some things we're going to talk about, have over 110 shows within a couple months. And then now you said 160. Yeah. And I mean, 200 booked, but I think over 160 played. But yeah, so I want just to encourage everybody listening. It's obtainable. William was not doing this a year ago. Okay. Did you hear that? He was not doing this a year ago. So you have no excuse. If you kind of implement some of these things we're about to start like start talking about, you can be the person with 200 dates on your calendar. I promise you. Most so yes. let's actually dive into that. And I didn't cut you off on anything. No, we're no. Back, we're up to today. We're up to booking and you're killing it. So let's kind of dive into some of the things that you learned while you were booking these shows. So starting out, what was some of the biggest things that you learned that you had to do to be able to start getting those shows like let's talk into like the email process because that's the thing you pretty much did or most people thought is that all you did was emails or did you do anything else as well so um i sort of fell into um facebook And, you know, I was connected with a lot of my musician friends. And I mean, almost for every 20 posts on Facebook, you see an event. So-and-so is playing here. So-and-so is playing there. Um, So what I started doing was keeping a record of that. And that's how I found out about other venues in the area that offer live music. I would go to someone's page and see, you know, all the places they'd played. And I would go to those venues on Facebook, look at the photos, look at the videos, look at the events, see the kind of artists they were booking, see what the layout was um, and see, you know, just from, from that, just seeing if that was like a right fit for me when I felt ready and like saying, yeah, I, I could probably play there. They might enjoy um, my musical stylings. Um, <laughs> I would start out with a Facebook message. Hi, I'm William Neesmith, and I'm interested in booking in your venue in, you know, uh, 2019. Mm-hmm. I, it might have been 2018 there. But, you know, I mean, a lot of it is, is 2019 now. So, uh, and I put together um, a booking video mm-hmm. um, with a friend of mine, uh, Professor B Studios, uh, Mike Shout Bennett. That's <laughs> uh, And, I mean, it didn't cost that much. It paid for itself in, like, maybe two or three days. But it was a great way for booking directors to... Um, get a glimpse into who I was, 
um, what my music style was and what I could offer them. Um, the video wasn't longer than uh, three minutes. In fact, I sent the first draft to Lauren and it was like <laughs> over six. And she's like, you might want to cut it down. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I actually, one thing that I do within music, I love to research within marketing and business because I know that they are hand in hand. A lot of times people think that music is art, which it is, but it also is a business as well. So when you have a little bit of time to get someone, they only have an attention span of about 20 seconds. So you really have them for 20 seconds. And if they are not impressed within that 20, they're not going to watch the rest of the three. So I was just like, you have such a small amount of time. Let's just get them on it. But um, I love that you're talking about the EPK. Actually, Mike is going to be on the next episode. So we're actually going to dive into what all an EPK is. And that's an electronic press kit. And that's a video. But it's kind of like you're giving them a sample of your show. Um, A lot of times people just send stuff and like, here's a song, but... They can't see you. They also can't tell if that was auto-tuned or, if, you know, you can do a lot of things in the studio. You know, nowadays, there's so much magic. <laughs> but a video, for the most part, can't lie. So it's great just to see how you interact, what kind of songs you're going to do. It's it's pretty much like a three-minute audition. So you said that really helped. And sending that, instead of writing so much, you just showed them. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, in addition to the Facebook message, if... Um, if they didn't necessarily check the the messengers regularly, a lot of Facebook pages have an email that you can contact and a phone number that you can contact. So I would try Messenger, and if, if this is if this is a new place that I hadn't reached out to, I would send a Facebook message and an email on the same day. And if I didn't hear anything from anywhere from three days to two weeks, I would call. And I mean, when I say I call people, um, a lot of my musician friends are like, "What?" Oh, I know. Actually, we talked about this. I got so many more bookings that people could not get into because I physically called them. You guys, I know we don't use the phone very much now, but the power of just calling a human and talking will sometimes cut through those 15 emails back and forth that they don't respond to, and you can just get something done like that. So tell us about that when you got to that stage. Kind of what did you say on the phone to actually get to the person that they want to talk to. You know, ring, ring, ring. Hello, I'm William Neesmith. Not, not, hello. Gosh, that sounded so mean. (laughs) Hello. Hello. (laughs) Hi there, I'm William Neesmith. I'm a singer... I'm a singer-songwriter from Greensboro, and I'm interested in um, booking at your venue. Can I speak with your booking director? And, you know, the answers will vary. A lot of times, um, the person will tell you that so-and-so is not in. Sometimes they transfer you to the person, and you get booked right there. And they said, oh, I got your email. I'll take a look at it. And within the week or within the day, um, they'll email me back with with gigs. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll say, oh, so-and-so is not here. Can you call back on another day? And oh my goodness, if I had a dollar for every gig that I got from following up with people, that's, that's, you've got to be tenacious and you've got to follow up with people. When they tell you, call me back tomorrow, call me back next week, do Do that. So how did you remember to do that though? I know I have my own system. But for you, do you just remember all this stuff in your head or what do you do about it? Yes, I've got this wonderful project management tool called Trello, T-R-E-L-L-O. Um, it's just, it's wonderful. Um, you can have it on as many, it's, I, I think it's free and you can have it on as many devices as you want. I have it on my phone and my laptop. Um, 
And what it does is you can create lists for all these venues. And for each menu, it's like a digital note card. You can keep the email address, the phone number, all in one place. And you can write comments on the card to yourself to say, on such and such a date, I sent an email. On such and such a date, I um, sent a Facebook message. On such and such a date, I left a voicemail. And you just look at that periodically so that when you pick up the phone um, the following week, you can say, hi, this is William Neesmith. We spoke last week about blah, blah, blah. And you told me to call you in, you know, you told me to call you today. And so I just wanted to follow up. Hey, I sent an email um, about a month ago. Just wanted to follow up, see if you had a chance to um, take a listen. And that just means so much because a lot of times booking directors will ask you, when did you send that email? And you can, you know, see it right there on Trello. Like, yeah, I sent it out on um, such and such a date. So um, following up definitely helps. You can also organize, um, it's always kind of nice to me because I have a list of, of places that I have booked with, a, places, a list of places that are like almost there. And it's just so rewarding to move the card from like almost there to booked with or from booked with to ideal fee. I've got a, a number in my mind that I would like to earn every gig. And my goal is to play more and more gigs making that fee versus just you know, them booking me at, you know, whatever fee that is. Yeah, because you have to have all that organized. That's the thing too, a lot of people don't know. Having a project management tool is amazing. I use a couple different ones as well. Um, if everybody wants me to, I'd be more than happy to do a podcast that just kind of goes into the step-by-step of doing that process. So, but I will um, put everything that William is saying at the very bottom of this podcast. So it's a printable sheet. It's a checklist. That's some of these tips and tricks that you can do. So if you're worried that we're talking too fast, I got you at the very end. And like I said, email me or write back to me and tell me if you would love to hear how to do this process that William's talking about step by step by step. And we'll put that one of the podcast episodes. So we're talking about emailing. We've had um, the callback. What else do you do? Is there anything else? Or is that kind of your roundabout way of getting into shows? So um, from Facebook messages, emails, uh and calling some people, some booking directors say you have to come in person. You have to, you know, perform on our open mic. And I mean, you've got a real, you've got to ask yourself if it's worth it for you. If this is a place that you really like, that you know, you know, pays well, um, and you think that it's a good opportunity for you, you know, it, it can't hurt anything to perform at their open mic. But if, you know, it's it's a far distance away from you, you're not really sure what kind of crowds are there, you're not sure if this is the right fit for you, and it feels more of like an inconvenience to have to go out there and play, and, and you can kind of get a vibe from the oh, booking yeah. director too, um, but this is a place where you feel like you're going to be comfortable. Well, there's nothing like playing a three-hour show to people that are like, why are you here? <laughs> and I've done it, and it doesn't mean that you're bad, trust me. Not everyone is going to love you, and you want to be at the places that they are going to love you. Just completely, you know, leave that out. But that being said, and I mentioned that, a lot of people don't realize within your set list, and I'm going to kind of back up a little bit of some of the stuff that you got to expect at a gig. So we talked about earlier with the PA system. Most venues do not offer a PA system. So that is something that you actually need to have, and I know a lot of people know that. Another thing that I just mentioned a lot of sets are close to three hours. So do you actually have like a three-hour set that you do? Or what does that range from whenever you play local shows? I do. Um, it's, uh, you know, anywhere from maybe uh, two hours 
to three and a half or four mm -hmm. sometimes. Uh, one thing that I need to get better at is taking breaks because sometimes. For real, I can't. Okay, so I went to a show the other night at Williams, and I'm like, I don't know how he does it. I used to do it too, but um, I like to pick a lot of powerhouse songs, <laughs> which doesn't work out for the three-hour gigs. And then you're like, you know, Cindy Lauper by the end. It's not, not Cindy Lauper. Who's the one that goes gruffly? Um, someone gruffly from the '80s. I'll sound like that by the end of the show, you know. I know, I'm trying to think. When you think roughly, I think, like, is it Joan Jett? Think, like, Joan Jett or, like, um, yeah, so I always come out sounding so gruffly, and they're like, man, you have such, like, an edgy voice, and I'm like, I'm just completely cut it, you know, shrivels pieces. But, yeah, I, I tend to like to have about 45 minutes to an hour set and then take a break, so for 15 minutes each. So by the end, I have about 30 to 45 minutes worth of breaks. So you say you don't take any breaks. Oh, oh, no, no I, I definitely, definitely need like, to. I, I'm, I'm hearing the effects of that now. Oh, yeah. I had really bad vocal fatigue at my gig last night, so I had to just take like a 20-minute break and just play mm -hmm. some piano instrumental stuff. Um, vocal rest is key. I like throat coat tea. I'm not sure if it really works, but it's a nice little placebo. I'm, I'm running hot water and some strange herbs over my <laughs> vocal cords. Well, you got to find out what's good for you, but I learned too, and that's one thing um, when you play so many gigs, because how many gigs are you playing about a week now? Ugh. You know? Um, you know, uh, four to six gigs a week. This is this is summer season. Yeah. And I mean, August is set to be my busiest time. I've got like, you know, four, six day streaks with a day off in between each one. Well, we're talking about this too. We haven't really dived into what type of gigs you're doing. When I say local, a lot of people are probably just thinking like a local bar or a local you know, brewery, but there are so many other options and there's so many options that we haven't talked about. So just kind of briefly name some of those venues that you play. So when people are looking for mm -hmm. venues and we can talk about that too, um, other ways of finding them, um, besides just Facebook and looking at what your friends are doing. Um, what other kind of places are you playing locally? Um, you know, hotels, uh, restaurants, wineries, of course, and breweries, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes bars, uh, it just kind of depends on what you're, you know, reaching out to. Yeah, and the thing is, too, a lot of times, and this is going to be a little bit more wide cast, because we were talking about before the podcast began, um, a disclaimer is we actually are very fortunate where we are. You wouldn't think that um, within Winston-Salem, Greensboro, North Carolina, that there would be a ton of venues, but we actually live in a pretty artsy um, community, so there are a ton. You can actually, like he was saying, four or five shows a week and. I mean, no problem. And you're only going outside of the city a couple times within Raleigh and Charlotte. Um, but there are things within other areas. There are not as much. But there are things that we can look at as well. Like, for instance, we have something called the furniture market here. I know that happens once a year. Some places are closer to airports. A lot of airports book, you know. So kind of look into your community and see something that you have nearby and see if they need music. If it's something that's a big like a big community-based thing, like, you know, an airport has tons of people. They look for music. So also try to look into other options in your area that maybe if they don't have music that you could provide it as well. So that's a cool, you know, tip farmers, of doing it. Uh, farmers market. Farmers market, yes. So, I mean, a lot of times people are like, there's nowhere to play. And it's like, well, sometimes you got to branch out a little bit and think a little bit different. It's, it's really fun doing your own business and being an entrepreneur and just – Let's kind of actually just talk about how that's been transitioning as far as like a mental standpoint, you know, like how is that being your own boss? Like 
is it always great or is it good and bad or you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, in in some ways, it's just it's it's really freeing and liberating. Um, again, I I mentioned just how frustrated I was that there wasn't like some streamlined path to being a hit songwriter, uh, and uh, you know this just kind of gives me hope. I feel like on this long and winding road, I, I don't I don't even know how long this road will be if if you know the the final destination is you know hit songwriter. Um, I definitely feel like live performing and being my own boss is like taking a step forward. Whereas in marketing jobs, which, you know, I, I was attracted to just the, the field of marketing because it was creative. It allowed me to have a creative outlet and still, you know, support myself. But now that I'm supporting myself from music, um, almost exclusively, it's just, it's been amazing. And uh, again, it's like a step forward. Um, you know, you can you can put the word out you can have promotions and you can do all these great things but you know uh there are really no guarantees on you know what gigs are going to be like who's going to be there um if it's going to be packed if it's going to be you know like not as packed um if and you know you are dealing with a lot of drunk people oh my gracious if you're at places that serve alcohol and people will come up to you and um you know they they don't necessarily ask you politely to to play songs they'll scream at you to play songs and i think there's a little bit of uh people not really seeing you as a human being yes yeah, um, you're a jukebox sometimes <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i actually that's one reason why i actually do not play any shows past 11 anymore is because for the most part anybody that's drinking isn't enjoyably drinking prior to 11 and so they're usually pretty fine sometimes not trust me but after that I find I'm more the the jukebox singer you know where they're requesting like I had someone request Kanye a ton and I was like I I just don't know what to tell you (laughs) but you know it's one of those things I know that it, it comes with the good and the bad but I do think in the long run, if you can successfully book your own shows and keep that hustle up, it really is so rewarding in the end. And um, that being said, too, let's actually talk about some of the things that when people ask you how you book, because we were talking about this um, weeks ago, a lot of times people will go into our Facebook messenger or anything like that and they're emailing people and it's not working. And... I'll go into, well, you know, how many emails have you sent? And they've sent like three or four. So let's kind of dive into what exactly we mean by hustle and what is the definition of how hard you have to hustle? Because I think people just think sending out a couple is good enough. Yes. I, for every yes, there are probably at least one no and two maybes and standbys. By hustle, you have got to follow up with these people. Um, that doesn't mean you, you know, show up to their uh, their venue every day like, hey, you saw my email? Hey, you saw my email? Oh, I mean, please don't do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, disclaimer, do not harass people. I do think you should have, within the first contact, a couple days. If they don't contact, you know, kind of give it a week. You know, space it out. Don't, you know, make them not want to ever talk to you again because you're in crazy town land. But, you know, polite persistence. (laughs) Yes. Um, You know, a a communication maybe every two weeks to um, a month and and just and just reading it out. And a lot of times people fail to follow up when the booking director tells them to follow up. If they say, 
oh, you know, if, if, if it's March and they say, William, we're not going to be looking for booking for next year until August and you let August pass and you reach them like the next year and say, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like it, it's too late when they tell you to follow up with them, follow up with them when they tell you. Put a reminder in your calendar. I know there's um, a specific winery in the area that I knew that they booked every November. Put it in your calendar and I use a CRM called HubSpot. It actually sends me a reminder. So like for instance, with this winery, winery with this winery, there's Southern coming right out. Um, with this winery, I would actually set an alert up for about two weeks prior to when they actually booked where I would it would just promote me. And I already wrote the email. So all I had to do was push send. It's simple. Just make yourself notes like with, you know, Trella and there's a whole bunch of other ones. I'll put a couple below. And like I said, we'll talk about some other um, alternatives uh, in another podcast episode. And we'll dive really deep into setting up that um, framework because it really is essential to staying organized, staying on task and actually being able to follow up with people. But yeah, it's it's crazy to me when people barely put any effort in and then give up. This is something that will be a lot of work. Yes. But once you get it flowing, right now, I can honestly say I maybe email one or two people a year. But I've been doing it almost eight years, about 800 shows later. You get these people, your name starts getting known within your area, and people start contacting you, especially if you have a good rapport. So make sure you don't burn bridges for the most part, even if someone burned yours. You know, just, you know, let them be and keep good relationships because your name will be everywhere and it will get you gigs that you didn't even contact for in the future. Are you already seeing that now as far as like people contacting you and how, how did they see you or why did they see yes, you? Yes. I mean, people just happened to see me at a show. Like they weren't coming to, to see me. They were just there at the restaurant or the winery and they're like, I have a restaurant. I have this event. I have this, this festival. I mean, come in and play for me. And it's, it's been incredible <laughs> yeah and it's as easy as that too and sometimes just putting yourself out in front of people and that's what I was saying too when we were talking earlier when you were first starting um you get opportunities because people see you and sometimes it's just as easy as that so I do want to encourage everybody that's just starting out and it is you know feeling like no one's booking you for every hundred emails I sent out at the very first of it and I stay up till like 4 a.m in the morning just finding emails and hustling I'd get like one response back it, it will take some work, but like I said, 800 shows later, and I'm still doing this. I'm doing it full time. And William, it's been a year. He's already gotten over 160 shows. It didn't start in one day, Definitely you know? Not. And honestly, too, if people aren't booking out until later, contact them later and keep plowing through your list. Mm -hmm. Do not give up. So that's the moral of the story. Never give up. Never surrender. <laughs> uh, yes. I'm quoting a movie. <laughs> Another, Another good, good thing, thing, too, is... um you know, uh, is get feedback from yeah. the, the booking directors, from the staff. A lot of times they'll be attending your, your shows, ask them what went well, what didn't, um, go well and read your crowd. I mean, it, it's, it's fine to have a set list, but you know, if I see a bunch of, um, young people, well, if I see a bunch of like, you know, older people, I'm probably not going to hit the Britney Spears or old town road. It's just going to go right over their head. Um, <laughs> Right. So you've got to, you know, kind of read your, your crowd and um, monitor and adjust. And that just comes from being very prepared with your, your set and your repertoire. Another thing um, that you can do to get started is, you know, 
go out and see um, musicians that you that you see on Facebook or that you read about. See what they're doing well. What's working for them? What's not working for them? Um, when are they taking their breaks? Are they interacting with the crowd? Um, how is the crowd responding to that? You can learn so much from just seeing other people and not necessarily like, you know, taking their their songs or anything like note for note, but just, you know, you can, it can inspire you to find songs that work well for you, that sit well in your voice and that also resonate with, um, a crowd. And we, we didn't really talk about that, but that's another point that we need to talk about within a set. You're not just playing unknown songs to people. Obviously you have to pick two lanes. You'll either do an all original route or you do a mixture of original and top 40 covers mm-hmm. a lot of people my honest opinion and this is going to be awful if you're not doing an all original set and just completely going that route don't do covers that people don't know you might as well have just you know if no one knows them you might as well do an all original set and do your own music so well you know i just i don't understand when people want to do that. i'm like well if you're gonna do that just Go full force into the songwriter, singer-songwriter realm. Write a ton of songs. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of songs. Which I mean, you know, it's doable. But so what do you find success with? What kind of songs do you usually gravitate towards or usually pick? I like pop and top 40 songs um, throughout the decades. I mean, my set covers a little bit of everything. I'm going all the way from Motown to Old Town Road. Elton, Journey, Backstreet, Britney, Adele, Bruno, um, you know, and I, I wear these party sunglasses to I go with the it. songs that I'm singing. So like when I sing Rock the Boat, I've got these like sailor glasses or Navy captain glasses. I think they're Navy captain. Um, and I mean, in a three hour set, I might play, you know, uh, three to four originals. So I have these heart emoji glasses for the song that I wrote called Heart Emojis. You know, it just gets people kind of turning over and looking at you for half a second. Like, huh, that's, you know, and so I'm not saying you have to do the the party glasses, but just kind of find what works for you. There is a happy medium because you can tell um, when you go to see people play, um, if they're playing show or if they're they're playing songs that they don't really connect to. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, You remember like, you know, like middle school or elementary school, like Venn diagrams. There's on one circle songs that people like to hear. And then they're on the other circle. There are songs that you like to sing, that you like to perform. There is a happy medium between songs that you like and um, songs that people actually want to hear. But you've got to um, keep that in mind. Just because you like this ob- obscure song or this kind of thing does not mean that it's going to resonate with an audience. And if your goal is to, you know, earn revenue from this, you know, that's the key. If the goal is to earn revenue, you have to play things that people like. And I don't mean that you have to completely cover them exactly how the person did it. And that speaking to your point, sometimes if there's a song that you're not as passionate about, create it and make it your own. You know, we do like a Grease cover, which I do like Grease. And, you know, we kind of make it our own and put it, our own genre on it. But just kind of find those things that you can actually add to. Like yours is with the glasses and putting on like more of your soulful voice and like doing some of the more fun stuff and you make it a show. Figure out what you're good at and create that show that only they can hire you for. I think that's the key too. You have to find that thing that you're good at and people want you for. Yeah. So, I mean, really it's trial and error. Find what you like to do. 
you know, create your set list and, you know, it's all going to be awesome. Really? It, it is. Yeah. But you've got to work at it. Just like you hustle um, with getting, uh, you know, venues to, to contact you, you've got to continually hustle your set. You don't want anyone to come in and see the same show twice, even if it's just putting set two where set one was. Um, but it also takes learning, um, new music. If you do primarily covers, you know, uh, download the billboard app. And I mean, look, you are on Billboard. You know things before I do. I and I'm like, what? He's like, Upt- not Uptown Road. Oh, my gosh. Old if I called that one more time. <laughs> Billy Joel, gracious. Um, I didn't even know that was going to hit the record until you were like, it's going to hit a record in like a week. Or, you know, so he stays up on them. So he knows what's coming out, what was good. I'm telling you, it is a good app just to follow. So. And even then, like they have like an all time chart. If you're new to this, um, a great way to find, you know, hit songs that are going to resonate, you know, pick some number ones, add some number one songs to your set. They were number one for a reason. It's because people listen to it and they know it and they like it. Yes. And I mean, you, you have so many tools that are free, readily available. It's just that you actually have to go find it and research it and put pen to paper kind of thing. So I love talking about that. So we only have a few more minutes left. Let's actually, let's talk to uh, you about if you could tell someone just starting out uh, one or two, three, whatever you feel, pieces of advice, what would you say? Especially if you could have told yourself that. Oh yeah. Okay. So number one, go and see as many people as you can. Um, It'll help you to get a sense of who you are by seeing who they are. And finding out what works for them, what doesn't work. You get so inspired by watching people, especially people that are like good at what they're doing. And you can tell that they kind of lose themselves in this. Mm-hmm. I, I just, oh, I love to see um, musicians. They really just connect with what they're doing and they just kind of lose themselves in it. That's my goal. I try to, to lose myself. And I know, and I, I know my set's really like, you know, fun and, and goofy, <laughs> but I lose myself in that goofiness. And I think that's just what, I love so much. Um, also, just be be very tenacious. Uh, do not give up. And like, I mean, we we've both given great examples here of just you had the you know hundreds of emails for one response back. Um, don't forget to follow up constantly with with people. Um, and then you know, a lesser note, just make sure you have the equipment. Um, a, a great way to just see if live performing is right for you could be to attend open mics at bars. A lot of times um, the booking directors use open mics as auditions for their um, upcoming acts. If you have a friend um, who performs regularly or just someone you'd like to network with, I mean, use Facebook. Hi, I saw you play. I thought you were great. I'm thinking about doing this for myself. Send them some videos and then ask to be their opener. Or if you just play an instrument or sing a song, like I'll, I'll, I'll do your backup vocals or, you know, just, you know, come in, play a couple songs on your show. And I mean, they don't have to do that, but um, you, you never know um, if you just kind of throw out that, that uh, extend that uh, invitation there. I love it. All those are amazing. And I feel like we've gotten such good tips and tricks 
and I am excited to hear about everybody's successes from this podcast. So I am going to link a little uh, checklist below of some of the stuff that we talked about so that when you're actually doing this yourself and creating everything or updating what you're doing right now and putting in some new systems, you can kind of go through this checklist and walk with it. Walk with it. Walk, Walk with, with it. it. Um, you can go through the steps with us. Wow. But yeah, thanks so much, William, for coming on the show. And I will link a little bit of information about you. Where can they find you right now if they want to listen to some of your music and get to hear all the cool stuff that you're doing? Hopefully by the time this airs, <laughs> hopefully by the time this airs, I will have my, my website. I'm meeting with Mike Bennett, who is going to be another guest on the show. And um, once that's done, I mean, hopefully like early September, WilliamNeesmith.com will be um, up and running. But in the meantime, you can find me on Facebook, um, William Neesmith Music, or Instagram, William underscore Neesmith. I also have a SoundCloud account. I'm pretty sure if you just, you know, Google search uh, SoundCloud, William Neesmith, it'll, it'll pop up. That's awesome, you guys. So until next week, we will talk with you then. I'm so excited. Thanks so much for being on. Of course. Happy to do it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Enlightened Musician podcast. Make sure to visit our website, theenlightenedmusician.com, where you can subscribe to the show on your platform of choice so you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, this is Lauren Light.